people groups, institutions. Now, of course, you probably understand that um, you know when we're when we watch the media, we, we're drawn to these whole high-profile injustice cases. And of course, the killing of George Floyd was kind of a flashpoint, right, for racial injustice, particularly in the United States. But there's so many things that, that happen that we don't even know about, right? Big and small things. So just this last week, uh, I had a brief but very informative conversation with uh, a couple of indigenous friends from our community. And uh, we just got talking. And um, I think they're about my age, both of them. And they both went to residential schools as children. Of course, that's become my profile, as you know. And uh, one of them went to tell me about what is known as the Indian hospitals in Canada, and, and I had never heard about this before. And so apparently at the turn of the, of the uh, century, up until 1981, when the last Indian hospital closed, uh, indigenous people were segregated in the medical system and from the greater population. And these hospitals, um, I, I looked look it up you know, after we had the conversation, and uh, these hospitals were, were originally established under the guise of treating the tuberculosis plague that was going on. And uh, according to my friend, um, they were used as guinea pigs for tests for TB. And uh, it was a full-fledged hospital, um, so they did more than that, of course. Uh, she was just a toddler, and she doesn't remember a whole lot. Her only memory was being cramped in a crib. And she still, to this day, has issues with claustrophobia that go way back. And so she still suffers. Now, of course, um, just like everyone else, so she didn't know a whole lot. She was just a toddler, and she learned about these things later when she was shocked to hear about the abuse that went on and, and so many others. And so basically, these Indian hospitals ended up treating them like second-class second citizens. So it, it, you know, when you read the literature, basically these hospitals were ill-equipped, understaffed. Um, they were second-rate hospitals. Public, and yet the indigenous people were told to go there. So, um, this is a justice. In God's eyes, there are no second class citizens. Uh, people have to be treated with dignity. It doesn't matter what color of skin or gender or whatever. And unfortunately, of course, these injustices, and that we don't know most of them, they continue, and I'm sure they will continue until Jesus comes out. So I don't know about you, but but I find it really hard to process all the injustices that just come at you, right? And you just read the morning news, right? And 
course, you know the news talks about all the negative stuff. Once in a while, there's positive stuff, there's negative stuff. And so what do you do? You kind of just got out filter, right? You kind of shut down emotionally. And it's easier just to plug your ears, and we do. And we have become desensitized to the injustices that we hear day after day. A Nigerian singer by the name of Meneke W. decried the continuous bad news coming out of his own country. And uh, he tweeted this out. This is Meneke W. So much bad news in Nigeria every day, we become numb to it. If it's not murder and kidnapping, it's unrest and people unfit for office calling the shots. It's like we are in an abuse relationship with a country we love. It's exhausting, it's draining, it's depressing. Wow. So before my vacation, um, we were going through some themes, some main themes in the book of Psalms. And as you know, the Psalms aren't simply about praise and thanksgiving, although we're known for that, right? But when you read the Psalms, we come to realize that God is deeply concerned about injustice. Psalm 82, 2. I read this Psalm, but this is just verse 2. The psalmist cries out, Give justice to the poor and to the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Here's a godly psalmist crying out to God for justice. And of course, in every psalm there's a story behind it, right? It's real. And so psalm after psalm, the psalmists repeatedly cry out in prayer to their God for justice because they know and they understand that the world they live in is filled with broken people and evil forces and harsh conditions that generate injustices around the world and everywhere around them. Um, if you remember the, the sermon preached just before I left was Psalms of Anger, right? Psalms for the Angry. And um, actually most of those angry psalms expressed to God had everything to do with injustices. A lot of things were generated by injustices that people experienced and witnessed. So um, let, let me begin here. Let's kind of read it. Um, kind of what I've been saying about this whole series of the Psalms. The Psalms teach us to be open and unafraid of God with our deepest pains. That's a clear lesson when you read the Psalms. It's so clear that we miss it. Right? It's teaching us what to do with our emotions in particular in this case anger and injustice. And I find this incredibly instructive for both big and small issues, by the way. Right? Our human tendency is to hide and cover up. Right? Just sweep it under the rug. Uh, we have a tendency to, yes, plug our ears. Um, especially when it really hasn't have to do with us. 
And so we think the best way to deal with injustice is simply not to talk about it. Um, something will be dealt with, we think. Now, some of you know that both of my parents um, were youth, somewhere like 13, 17, when the Japanese military attacked Pearl Harbor, of course, and ushered the states into World War II. And, um, and of course, my parents and their parents, their families were living in Canada at the time. And they were tagged as now the enemy. So my mom and her family were taken from where they lived and taken from the home and forced to live in segregation in the interior of BC. So you probably know that story. So her father, my grandma, was forced to work in a work camp separate from the family. Uh, his leg was crushed uh, in the whole uh, scenario. But you know, my parents' generation of Japanese Canadians, um, you know, they're real polite to preserve folk. And you know how they dealt with their pain? By not talking about it. I never knew about this for years upon years, right? Uh, there's a word in Japanese, it's shogai, which means there's nothing you could do about it, right? And so they soldier on and they work harder. And I don't think that's really any different from lots of cultures, right? You know? And so I hardly knew anything about the story until I got grew a little older and asked questions. And even you know, a few years back, I actually sat down and I interviewed my mom. You know, recorded it. Mom, tell me your story. Right? Tell me your story. But the songs don't ignore pain. That's what's amazing about songs, right? And somehow we're, you know, we, we do the opposite. The Psalms say, pray out your frustrations to the Lord. And so they teach us to be honest with God. So that's just a little uh, reminder of what I've been saying already. But let's take a look at, a little bit at Psalm 10. I, I'm going to look at a variety of Psalms here. But let me read this one. This is not the full Psalm, just some of the verses. O oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. Like lions crouching and hiding, they wait to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. Uh, verse 12, the wicked think God isn't watching us. He has closed his eyes and won't even see what we do. Arise, O Lord, punish the wicked, O God. Do not ignore the helpless. So that's just a, another sample. And um, I guess from all these passages in Psalm 10 and Psalm 82, um, what do the Psalms teach us about justice? Well, first of all, we learn that true faith includes justice. In this Psalm, and in many others, it speaks about the wicked who take advantage of the vulnerable. And so the Psalmist cries out to the Lord, 
Lord, would you punish the wicked? He prays, oh God, don't ignore the helpless. So there's this deep concern for the vulnerable. In the Psalms, whenever there is talk of injustice, there's always this plea for the just judge, who is God, our sovereign God, to make things right. True faith in God must always include a concern for justice. Or to put it differently, there is no true faith without justice. This is a clear, as clear as clear can be in the Psalms, even though it may not be evident, evident to us as Christians. The Hebrew and Greek word for justice is the same as righteousness. And so you could call these the Psalms of righteousness, right? Doing what is right. Or in the kind. They are seen as the same, but depending on your religious background, the church unfortunately has distinguished between righteousness and, and justice, even though it is really the same word. So in some church traditions, like we are own, the emphasis is placed on personal righteousness and holiness through Jesus Christ. And so one's morality and relationship with God is what is emphasized, and it should be, right? And so the goal is to live a worldly life because of Jesus' love for us, and to love Christ and to become like him in character, right? I would preach that every day. But in other church traditions, they're more into what we call social justice issues. And this has to be the mainline churches who speak about all forms of injustice and inequality um, in the workplace, etc., etc., to ensure that society is free from all forms of injustice. But justice is righteousness, and righteousness is justice. And so it seems to me we'd have to listen to both sides. In the Psalms, a godly person is not simply godly in character. We need to be that way, of course, right? But godly in the way that we look at those who are vulnerable. And I'm wondering if we can learn from that. Do we have a heart for the vulnerable? So, in some Christian circles, likely our own, forgiveness, individual sin, character is the focus. But when we read the Psalms, there is another focus. Even in the New Testament, not only is it about character and having our sins forgiven, but more often the Psalms and the New Testament, justice Within society, especially the have-nots, is what is often talked about. So, for example, you know, we're drawn to certain psalms. And Psalm 51 is a famous psalm about forgiveness, right? It's about, Lord, have mercy on me, right? The story of King David. For I have sinned. Yet then we have psalms that I have briefly read, Psalms 10, Psalm 37, Psalm 82, Psalm 113. 
They all speak about the powerful, the oppressed, the vulnerable, and the powerless, and prays for justice for them. C.S. Lewis once said, Christians cry to God for mercy instead of justice. They, that is the psalmist, cry to God for justice instead of injustice. Interesting. Now, of course, Lewis would admit that mercy is not opposed to justice. In fact, mercy and justice belong together. We'll talk about that in a moment. We need God's mercy and love. We don't have it in ourselves. His loving mercy breathed life into us because we are helpless on our own. But justice is a form of love where God and God's people are deeply concerned about the widow, the orphans, the poor, and the resident aliens. Right? Those are known as the uh, quartet of the vulnerable. Okay, in the Bible, the quartet of the vulnerable. In fact, have you read the book of James lately? His Psalms, more like his Psalms. This is what he says. Some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by good deeds. And then James goes on to rebuke some members of the church, in this case the wealthy, who are discriminating against the poor. Well, there it is. And so true faith includes true justice, whereby God's grace and his power alive in our hearts, we work for the sake of the vulnerable and We need, however, God's idea of justice. We need God's idea or definition of righteousness and justice. Now, again, today, social justice has taken on extremely charged political meaning. Uh, today, it appears to me, it is more about um, deconstructing, about getting even, about canceling, and even violence is allowed to meet that goal. Okay? That is the spirit of social justice in our culture today, it seems to me. Now, true biblical justice isn't simply about a law or rule, but actually it's about God's character. Even the laws of Moses, right, the Ten Commandments, they're really about God's character, and that's extremely important. This is all about God, right? This is about reflecting who God is in our worlds. Now, now let me illustrate it. Uh, this is not too serious, but just for illustration purposes. Uh, when I was in grade three, my parents took me to Bible camp, and I remember for craft time, I painted a ceramic boxing glove, and I took my masterpiece, what I thought was my masterpiece, back to my cabin, 
And then I came back and I found out someone sprayed it down with a skill repellent. And that just took me off, right? And so, of course, as an insecure great people, I'm going, someone not like me? Right? Why would they do that? All these questions in your mind, right? So then I actually talked to my counselor. I told him what had happened, but he didn't seem to care, so he got me more upset, right? Now, no one got murdered, okay? This is not the highest form of injustice out there. This is just an illustration. Um, we cleaned it up with silver water, but I still felt wrong, you understand? So what happens, because I never found the perpetrator, I'm a strong word, whatever, okay? I never found the guilty party, and I never will, okay? But what happens when there is no justice and injustice? Okay, work with me now, okay? That's the love, right? That's where people are at. Add your own story. We want to take things into our own hands. In my case, cracking my proxy move over the head of the dude might have felt really good. Right? But it would be so wrong. And I would have fixed nothing and watched everything. Right? So it gotta be God's form, uh, God's idea of justice. You understand? Or we get ourselves in a world of trouble. And that's why the world is in a world of trouble. Violence does not improve. Violence begets violence, more violence, okay? So when we talk about justice, we better be talking about God's idea of justice and not our own. So Psalm 89, 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. I love that. Then at the end of Psalm 10 that we read earlier, 16 to 18, it says, The Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the Lord. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so mere people can no longer care about them. For the Lord loves justice. And he will never abandon the godly. He will keep them safe forever. But the children of the wicked will die. So what is the basis of the psalmists? Uh, on what basis do the psalmists make these claims? Well, it's on the basis of God's character, first of all, he said that, right? And the fact that he is the king of the universe. The box stops there, right? He ultimately makes the wisest decisions. He is the only just judge, okay? 
You know, we are so worn out by injustice in the world, it's hard to imagine that there is truly a just judge, right? I mean, we've grown cynical. Who do you trust? But we have a just judge. He exists. He is the Lord. He is Jesus, our King, in fact. And we best leave justice in his hands. And the way we process our emotion is always through Jesus the King. Modeled in these Psalms. Psalms 33 4 says, For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. David O. Taylor, from a book that um, I have widely used, says this, there is no generic idea of justice. There is only God's idea of justice. Jesus is king not simply over one nation, it says he's the king over all creation. That is why the psalmist prayed, may your unfailing love fill the earth. So this is God's passion and desire. And so if it's God's passion and desire, it ought to be ours as well. Now we turn to ourselves. We are all called to do justice. Even though God is the just judge and justice is his business, did you know that we are called to participate in his justice ministry? Did you know that? Yes, we do have human judges and lawyers in our land, and it is their professional work to do these things. But hey, it's not just up to these folks to do justice ministry. As we know, even in those places, there is a lot of imperfection. But God calls us to the word of justice. In the midst of this broken world, we are God's shining lights. And justice is a job for all of us. Psalm 106.3 says, There is joy for those who deal justly with others and always do what is right. Justice is for all of us. Uh, whether you're a business owner and you work with employees, um, you have work to do, right? Fair treatment, fair pay, that type of thing. You have neighbors that you have to get along with. You are a citizen of Canada. You are parents looking not only for the interest of yourselves, but for others and the injustice of others. So what does God's idea of justice look like? Well, the Psalms show us um, I got a whole list there. There is no partiality. Psalm 82.3, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. 
rescue the poor and help us deliver them from the grasp of evil. Every person must be treated with dignity. Each person is made in the image of God. Justice rejects the use of proud and arrogant words that try to control and take advantage of people. Psalm 94 prays, how long will the wicked be allowed to go? How long will they speak with arrogance? Right? Those are controlling. That's controlling things, right? Powerful over the weak. God rejects such behavior. The just don't speak out from both sides of their mouths, right? Psalm 28, 3 says, those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planning evil in their hearts. That's two-faced. Also, they are not greedy. Speaking of the wicked, Psalm 10, 3 says, where they brag about their evil desires, they praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The just hate violence. The just are not conniving. The just look out for the quartet of the vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the poor, the resident aliens. Um, I guess another term for that is people from all nations and races. How are you doing in that area? It's easy to be prejudiced against those who are a minority because they're less powerful than you. Finally, we turn to Jesus. Jesus demonstrated the perfect justice of God. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, we carry the responsibility to share Jesus' redemptive work. Now, a lovely verse is Micah 6.8. And I mention this because this was Jesus' way. So it says, To do justice, to love mercy, to look humbly with your God. Now, I love this verse because it actually puts all these important pieces together in one place. Three pieces that must exist together. So it places justice and mercy together because you can't have one without the other. And it doesn't separate the need for us to walk in humility with God. It assumes you need a relationship with God. And it assumes working with people in the ministry of, of mercy and and so you can put it a different way. There is this vertical relationship with God aspect that is here, right? And then there's the horizontal. And so, of course, as John says, you can't love God without loving one another, right? So on and on it goes. We need mercy. We need to be merciful. We need to execute justice and walk humbly with our God. And so Jesus' life demonstrates this. This is what Jesus did. So, for example, he frequently ministered to the quartet of the vulnerable, demonstrating his mercy, right? 
So mercy and love is helping those who can't help themselves. And even as he healed the helpless, uh, so many times he often did it on the Sabbath. That made sense. I mean, every day it works, but the Sabbath was the day for people, right? This was the day to help. And he emphasized it because he did it on the Sabbath. And so he, he however, he encountered people who opposed these vulnerable people and who opposed himself. And so he had to remind these stone-hearted religious people that, look, if one of your cows, if one of your sheep, you know, gets stuck in the ditch, wouldn't you help that animal out of the gutter? And they would say, well, yeah, of course, right? Well, how much more valuable are these children, are these poor people, than an animal? So Jesus was executing this justice ministry, right? He's trying to set things right here. He's defending the plight of the vulnerable and rebukes the cold-heartedness of the wicked. Now, after Jesus foiled the temptations of uh, Satan in the wilderness, he shows up in his own hometown. He goes to the synagogue at Nazareth, and he makes this bold pronouncement. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Right from Jesus' own words, right? The ministry of mercy and justice for the less fortunate. This was God's ministry of the good news that included not only forgiveness, the way of salvation, but a part of that life was living a life of mercy and justice. And this is what Jesus commands of all of us disciples to do, especially with the vulnerable in mind. Now, of course, Jesus didn't simply talk about justice and mercy. Ultimately, Jesus showed it by the beauty of the cross. And on the cross where he died was this beautiful, perfect demonstration of both mercy and justice, all in one point. In penetrating love, in his own death for us, he showed us his grace and mercy and forgiveness, which is integral to God's commitment to justice in the world. He's freeing people up for this ministry. Again, I go back to Taylor. He says so well, for while justice gives people what they are due, mercy and forgiveness do not. Mercy shows compassion where none can be claimed. Forgiveness offers grace to no one who could not be free. By saving us from our sin, when you know Jesus, he is saving us from evil that can corrupt the human heart 
that becomes that can become so prejudiced, that can become controlling. And through a new heart that he gives to us, a new relationship with Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God places us in the world. He frees us up to do the gospel ministry that includes the ministry of justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Yes, our tradition, as I've said, tends to emphasize our walk with God. But it includes a walk with God and the ministry of mercy. We need to put into practice Jesus' own example. Practice justice, mercy, and growing humble in our walk with God as the Psalms teach us to do. So, I don't want to be there with the point. But let me mention a few things. What can we do? Okay? Well, first of all, pray. Because that's the first order of business of the Psalms. Pray in defense of the vulnerable. Pray in defense of the vulnerable. I think it's a good thing that if you give money to the little ones through compassion or world vision, you're doing a good thing, right? That's part of justice ministry. But pray for the vulnerable even in your own backyard. I mentioned the indigenous people, and I think the church academies think more seriously about this issue. Cry out to God for your concerns about injustices just in your own world, right? Um, some of you still have children in school. You might witness stuff. You might see stuff. Stand up, right? They might come at your front door sometime. sometime. Jesus is a just we need to bring these things to him. Know that he's a God who loves and cares for those who are vulnerable. He is merciful and patient. And he is merciful and patient with those who do evil as well. God has, you know, this is a period of incredible grace where he's wanting the whole world to come to himself. And yes, as the psalm says, one day God will judge the evil and the unrepentant. It will happen one day. If God is the just judge, and then we have to let him do that kind of stuff. Um, take time to maybe evaluate your attitudes for people who are vulnerable. Do you tend to look down on people who are different from you? Who don't speak your language? Who look different from you? Finally, ask the Lord how you can make a difference in the life of the Lord. All right. Well, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, well, we need your help. Um, this is such a big issue, and it's something that it's like right-handed person learning to write with his left hand. It's not something we're used to. 
and we need some corrections, perhaps, in our heart and in our action. And so help us, Lord, to fulfill your call to be, um, to be the light of this world and to live as Jesus did. Not only talk about salvation and forgiveness, which is so incredible and important, but about living this kingdom life, living a life of justice and mercy, and walking humbly with you. Help us, Lord. We need your help. In Jesus' name.
they were focused on those things that they bring us down, keep us down, but just on the goodness that's coming. You are good. Jesus. I bless you as you go.